0: We wake up and we set our priorities for the day. And and so in many ways, we try to act like our own God. This is the battle of the flesh, is we want to be in control of circumstances. We want life to be the way we want to be. Uh, It's very unlikely that everyone in this room wakes up every morning in complete surrender and acceptance of all circumstances.
1: If John the Baptist had the privileges of social media during his ministry, It is possible that his following would have went viral. Who else could dress like a man from the wild, preach in the wilderness and draw thousands, and baptize regularly in the Jordan River? Yet John believed in and accepted his calling. He knew he was born for a much better purpose than achieving greatness. You have joined us for message number 13, entitled, One Mightier Than I, of the series, Luke, The Gospel Truth. This is Faith Life, and now, Pastor Jared Arnett.
0: Message this morning called "One Mightier Than I." We're going to finish up Luke chapter three. As I was preparing for this, I found this article on the Gospel uh, Coalition called "Self-Worship is the World's Fast Fastest Growing Religion." Self-worship is the world's fastest growing religion, and so he quotes a couple stats from a book. And uh, I mean, we can see it in our life, you know, like. Why do we need a camera on this side of our phone? (laughs) Right? In the selfie-taking generation that we are. Um, And and so he's got these stats that he got from a book by two guys named David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons. And so the the first stat is 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. Enjoying yourself, 84% of Americans. 86% believe that to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things you desire most. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want in life? And so to be happy, you've got to pursue your desires and what you desire most. 91% affirm this statement, to find yourself, look within yourself. The author of this article, he went on to say that the Westminster uh, Catechism, which is this statement of doctrine and belief that's generally accepted by, by Christians that we can all agree upon, he says it has been inverted and now says the chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy himself forever. It's supposed to be enjoy God, to glorify and enjoy God forever. Yeah, we've moved it to enjoy ourselves. And so he even, he came up with these six commandments of this self-religion i thought they were interesting so we're just going to start before we jump into this just to hear what he came up with there's the six commandments of the world's fastest growing religion which is worship of ourselves he says one first commandment your mind is the source and standard of truth so no matter what trust yourself hashtag the answers are within i love these hashtags Two, your emotions are authoritative. So never question or let anyone else question your feelings. Hashtag follow your heart. Three, you are sovereign. So flex your omnipotence. That means you're you're all power. And bend the universe around your dreams and desires. Hashtag live your truth. You are supreme, so always act according to your chief end to glorify and enjoy yourself forever. Hashtag YOLO. And for some of you here, that means you only live once. YOLO. Hashtag YOLO. You only live once. You are the summum bonum, whatever that is, the standard of goodness. So don't let anyone oppress you with this antiquated notion of being a sinner who needs grace, hashtag never change. Just be yourself. You are the creator to use, so use that limitless creative power to craft your identity and purpose. Hashtag authenticity. These are six commandments that he just observed from the culture. Does it sound like the culture? Sounds like the culture to me. And and all these commandments are right, the they're in direct contrast and contradiction to the teaching of Scripture and what God has revealed to us about what is true. And unfortunately, these type of commandments and this lifestyle observed with self, it leads to destruction both now and in eternity. And so we're going to talk about a guy today, John the Baptist, who if anybody should have been taking selfies and worshiping himself, it should have been him. All right, are you with me for a minute? We're going to look at John the Baptist in chapter 3, Luke, and, and, and if you've been with us through the series, we've talked a lot about him, uh, and this is the last time we're going to talk about him for a while. We're going to get through chapter 3. And so John had every reason. Why do you say he had every reason to be proud or arrogant or be taken, uh, assessed with himself? Uh, he had the leading ministry of the day, all right? He had all kinds of things going for him, one. Uh, he had a miraculous birth, okay? His parents were beyond childbirthing age, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you know the story. Zachariah was in the temple. The angel revealed to him, you're going to have a son, and then she had a son. Elizabeth had a son. They named, the angel named him before he was even born. His name is John. Remember that sermon? Also, the angel told Zechariah, he's going to be great. He's going to go before the one. He's going to be a great prophet. Okay, did any of y'all's dad have an angel tell them while you were in the womb that you were going to be a great prophet? No. So John had this going for him. And John then goes into the wilderness and, is, and for years been out there just searching for Christ, searching for, searching for God and closeness to God. And, and, and he starts his ministry, he starts preaching in the worst place. And yet hundreds and thousands of people start to show up. Even the Pharisees, we found out last week when Chris just, he had that beautiful passage to preach from about the brood of snakes, we found even the Pharisees, the leaders of Jewish religion at that time, were tracking all the way out to the wilderness to see his ministry, to hear what he had to say. And so he had every reason uh, to be consumed and obsessed with himself. He had a prophesied destiny, amazing ministry, powerful preacher, great following, all the things. And so this was happening around him in Luke 3.15, where we're going to pick up today. The people that were gathered around him, these Pharisees, everybody that was there, began to just be a rumor amongst his followers in the crowd. It says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Like he was so powerful, had so much going for him, that the people around him were like, hey, this guy, he might be the one. He might be the Messiah. I mean, when people are talking that around you, maybe uh, uh, in his mind, he knew he wasn't the one. He knew he wasn't the Messiah. But I realize that many times in our life, it would be healthy to ask ourselves, am I God Because even though we may not ask ourselves that, we we live like it many times every day. We wake up, and without even a conversation with the Creator, we set an agenda for our day. We think about the next 10 years of our life, and we come up with our own formulated strategy and plan and goals and where we're going to be and what we're going to do. We wake up and we set our priorities for the day. And and so in many ways, we try to act like our own God. This is the battle of the flesh. We want to be in control of circumstances. We want life to be the way we want to be. Uh, It's very unlikely that everyone in this room wakes up every morning in complete surrender and acceptance of all circumstances in our life, right? But that's where God is has called us to. And so, so I ask you this question, are you God? <laughs> Am I God? Am I the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? This was what the rumors were happening around John. this morning, what I really want to talk about is humility that John exhibits here. Just a few thoughts about humility before we get into it is one humility is not weakness it's not a sign that you are weak or you don't have enough strength to do what you need to do or that you might not be the most talented or gifted or 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 good at something it's not that it's not low self-confidence it's not low self-esteem it's not like i need to just really think self-deprecation and think really bad about myself that's not humility If you do the research on humility, you find that it's a very healthy thing in a way to lead and posture to work with people. I mean, it it fights against arrogance. I mean, how many people in here love working and being around people who just think they are better than everybody else? Anybody? I mean, like, I love those type of people. Bring them on. Usually not, right? Usually, if someone thinks they're better than everyone else, they don't get work well in teams. They don't like. It's not the best friends in the world they're not usually kind to others, it's usually consumed about themselves and, and so humility is really like a an antidote to all those things in life it, it pushes back against arrogance it, 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 it helps us be open to feedback and coaching and wanting to be better and learn from people who are smarter or better or more experienced than us it, it helps us grow it helps us know our limits, it helps us have gratitude for the things that we do have in life and that what we've been given it, it, it also helps us be kind and generous to others. Like all this stuff is in Scripture, but you can find it in all the research. Humility is the best posture to live your life in. Now, well, how do we get that? Because we all struggle with it. You struggle with it. I struggle with it. I'm going to show you where, sh- where John finds it. If you want to get humble, get awestruck. What do I mean by that? If you want to get humble, get awestruck. I don't think John's humility was about him. I think John was so awestruck by the Creator I think he was so awestruck about a man named Jesus. And see, we we have this deep hunger inside of us to be in awe of things. Millions of people a year go to the Grand Canyon. Millions of people a year go to Yosemite. Like 30 million a year go to the Niagara Falls to see this thing that is massively bigger us to see things that we could not even unbelievers they want to go see this thing that that just formed out of the earth i guess in their minds but it's bigger than them it's this deep-seated desire to be in awe of something and all the research shows when we become in awe of something we become humble and so it's not about looking at ourselves. I believe John was in awe of Jesus. And so if we want to get humble, we don't need to look at ourselves. We're going to look at Jesus. All right, the first thing he begins to say about this uh, as he was in awe is he, he looks at his greatness. He was in awe of Jesus' greatness. How does he say it? chapter 3 verse 16 after they were rumoring that john was the messiah john answered them all and he says i baptize you with water but one who is more powerful than i will come the straps of whose sandals i'm not worthy to untie i get emotional every time i read that the This is the NIV translation, the ESV translation. says, one who is mightier than I. It's the title of this sermon. One mightier than I. It's an amazing thing that John says here, and it doesn't make much sense to us. One, we don't, I mean, not everybody here wears sandals. A few people, maybe. David, he's pretty good sandal wear. Where's he at? Uh, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What does that statement mean? And so of that time, the rabbis, the teachers, they, they, they really felt confident and they felt free to ask their students to do about anything for them. I mean, you've all have been students in school. You remember teachers, they never made copies themselves, right? I was always a student who just hoped, please let me go make copies so I can be out in the hallway and probably not go straight to the office and back right? like I'm going to find got a bathroom to see. I'm going to go peek in my friend's classroom, see what else I can do. So that was my, that was my reasoning and motivation to be a good kid for a little bit like, so I can get out of class. And, and so teachers could ask to do anything. In this culture, in Jesus' time and John's time, the, the teachers would, they said, we, we feel good asking our students to do anything except untying our sandals. Like that's too beneath them. That would be offensive. That would be embarrassing. Your feet were walking around in these sandals and dust and dirt and they're muddy and it's nasty. I would never ask a student to do that. That would be embarrassing. So John, in this one statement, because the people in the crowd would have known that culture, says, I'm telling you about a teacher who I would not, uh, not only would I not be embarrassed to get in the dirt and the mud and untie his sandals, I'm not even worthy to do it. It would be an honor to untie this man's sandals. He says he is more powerful, he is greater, he is mightier, then I. See, he was talking about a man named Jesus who was going to align so closely with his Father that he was going to demonstrate a power of the world had never known. He was going to do miracles like the world had never seen. He was going to feed thousands of people with the little schoolboys lunchable. He was going to turn water into wine. He was going to walk on water. He, he was going to take, he was going to take the, a blind man who had been blind since birth and everybody knew. All the religious leaders knew him and saw him every day. He was a beggar and he was going to give him his sight back and he was going to walk on his own. He was going to take, he was going to take the lame, those who couldn't walk and they laid on a bed, a mat their entire life, never been off of it He was going to raise them up and they were going to walk carrying it. It was a man who was going to, when Lazarus passed away, he was going to be emotional and and, and upset and, and, and be able to empathize with his friends, but he was also going to be able to say, Lazarus, come out of that grave and raise him from the dead. This is the man that John is talking about. He said the reason, the reason John was humble because he understood Jesus' greatness. He was in awe of it. Jesus, later he would be teaching in the temple and he would be teaching on this, this Old Testament scripture that was looking forward to the Messiah and he would, if, if there's ever been a mic drop moment, this was it. He got to the end of it and he said, see this about the Messiah, it has been fulfilled in me. Maybe not like that. He probably wasn't that brash. Maybe he was. He says, Everything I've just read about y'all waiting for the Messiah, you're looking at him. Okay? That was super get you drugged out of the church and stoned. Okay? To them. Cause they were looking for him and they missed him completely. He he not only would he resurrect Lazarus, not only would he do all these. These miracles, he would would also live a perfect, sinless life, obedient to the Father. 100%. Never a sinful thought, sinful motivation, sinful action. Never. In perfect obedience to the Father. The best estimate, conservatively, Is that Jesus, this this person in history, that's not really a debatable figure in history? He really did. He really was a man. He really lived in this time, and he really did these things. Fulfilled three hundred prophecies from the Old Testament, from multiple prophets over a thousand years. Over a thousand years, Jesus fulfilled them all. How many did I fulfill? How many did you fulfill? fulfilled 300 and then he comes to the end of his life and if all that wasn't enough all that's good but paul says absent this one last thing then we we worship in vain he he did die but he himself was resurrected he conquered death this is the greatest man to ever walk the face of the planet earth and in the resurrection, we have all this history. I mean, it's well documented. Four different accounts from the Gospels that have been tested and tried by every agnostic, every person that was against it. It's like the historicity, historicity of this. The, 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 like This is a real accounts. It's not conflicting. This is like the real thing. These people really believed that he was resurrected. They saw him, and they died for believing it. You know what? My kids will tell the truth for ice cream. (laughs) These men, at their last breath, told, you admit you're making this up or this isn't true about Jesus, that you really didn't see Him, and they surrendered their life. Because they believed in one mightier than I.
1: You are listening to Faith Life with Pastor Jared Arnett from New Beginnings Fellowship Church in Pikeville, Kentucky. This is message number 13 of the series, Luke, the Gospel Truth. Let's return to the sermon as Pastor Jared Arnett continues his message on John the Baptist and his awestruck worship of Jesus Christ.
0: As we see his greatness, he also shares it like this. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Verse 18, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. I love the contrast of those two verses because you get verse 17, it ends with, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then verse 18, it's like, and he just kept telling them more good news like that. (laughs) Right? Does that feel like good news? Like, you're going to burn with fire. I got more good news for you. If you want to follow me, I'll share more things with you. But the incredible thing around this is is, is that what he's saying is he's going to separate those who are genuinely following and surrender to Christ and those who aren't. And he knows that. Here's the incredible thing. You see this this idea that we will burn up with chaff with unquenchable fire? Jesus didn't come and and implement that. That was the state of mankind. That was the state of all humanity. That was our destiny. Absent God himself entering into humanity and rescuing us from it. That's pretty good news. That we were all going to burn and had no hope, and now we have hope. And it's easy hope. No yoke, no burden, just faith, surrender, trust in Jesus Christ. We see his greatness, but we also see his example. I think John was awestruck about his example. See, John's there baptizing people, and in 321 we see, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Luke gets really to the point about this. Luke tells a story like I tell stories. Matthew tells a story like my wife Bethany tells stories. See, Matthew's is like, that one sentence is like two chapters. <laughs> That's hyperbole. It wasn't that long. But listen, Bethany can sh- details, remembers describes descriptors I'm like yeah Jesus was there he got baptized too she would say the sun was shining and the cloud was over here these trees look like this like beautiful poetry I just don't do that but Matthew did it Matthew gives us more insight into this so I want you to see in this moment this example it's incredible to me I get chills every time I think about it because John is baptizing people and they're all gathered there you know who's gathered there self-righteous prostitutes today's time, drug addicts, homeless people, crooked politicians, corrupt people in power, all standing there in the crowd waiting to be baptized by John. And he could have looked around the crowd and right in the middle of it, not pushing through and getting into the front or not even, there's a man named Jesus who's never sinned a moment or thought in his life. But he's putting forth this example, waiting to be baptized by John, not because he needs the forgiveness of sins, but because he has committed to, to completely obey the will of the Father and surrender and submit. And it's really important that he does that because that's how he becomes the perfect sacrifice. He has to be perfect. Otherwise, we don't have a hope. Okay, so he is surrendering himself here to baptize. I love this in Matthew when he talks about it. It says when Jesus comes up to get baptized, he says, I'm here to get baptized. John's like, I'm not worthy to baptize you. So John's being humble. He's also being disobedient. I'm like, come on, John. You just said he's the greatest. He's mightier than you. He walks up, tells you to do something. You're like, no. (laughs) Is that you and me? We become excited about Jesus. We're all committed to follow. You are the greatest, and He gives us some direction. Or, guys, He says, "Lay that down in your life." You're like, "No, whoa, you're good." I mean, not great. Sorry. All right. So, so He says. So He comes up to John's, like, "I can't do this. I, I, I'm, you should baptize me, Jesus." And Jesus, is like, "No, John, I need to do this. It's for me to do. it. It is the will of the Father. I need to." I need to be identified with sinful man. This is, this is, I'm just, I'm with this group. For these people around me, I got to do this. For everybody in this room, he had to do this. And so he goes for it and he gets baptized. And you know the story, he comes up out of the water. Matt, Luke tells us he was praying. and As he was praying, uh, a dove came down to sit on him. And a voice out of heaven said, This is my son and who I am well pleased Got all, that, that's the example Luke shares. We also, Jesus had pretty humble parents. And his an example, right? Mary and Joseph, a carpenter and a young, uh, a, a young Jewish girl named Mary. They were of no great importance or significance in the society or culture. he Had a humble announcement of his birth. Jeez. You think about today the birth announcements and gender reveals with rocket launchers and balloons, and I mean stuff I'm never even I can't even believe. When God Himself's son is about to be born, he goes to the nastiest people in culture. He goes to the shepherds. Humble announcement. Humble upbringing raised by a working class father. In a town called Nazareth that's backwoods as you can get, that that people would eventually say, Does anything good come from Nazareth? Has anything good come from Nazareth? Humble service, as we see, as he gets to the Last Supper, the, the day before <laughs> he's to be arrested. And he gets down on his knees and begins to wash the feet of all his disciples. Even Judas, the one who's going to betray him. Even Peter, who's going to deny him. He's on his feet and he is in humility by example. He says, if I do this to you, you should do this to one another. In his example, his humility, his his example on the cross of dying the death with two criminals on each side of him. Being made fun of with a sign that says, here it is, King of the Jews, and a crown of thorns that was just mocking him. And in his humility, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what what he started in his ministry here at his baptism, he says, it is finished at the cross. He was one mightier than I. I can see His greatness and example in Scripture, but the thing I love about God is I can see it around me today. I can see His presence today. We, we share these real and relevant moments. I can see him in, in, in things from the complexities of human life, to astronomy and astrophysics, and the idea that you can measure the level of gravity on the size of a planet that is just right to hold it in an orbit around the sun, that the earth is the perfect distance, the perfect angle, the perfect, all these things, the things that are science and complexities, that we're not just discovering something that happened that was obviously created intentionally and with purpose and with plan and laws and guidance and rules that puts it into order. I can see it there. I can see it in the beauty around me. I can see it in the mountains and the trees and the lakes and the ocean. I can see it in the Niagara, in Niagara Falls and in the Grand Canyon. You can see the fingerprints of a creator. I can also see it directly right here in the smallest little things. I can see it when we have somebody in our congregation that has... Uh, they're getting ready to move and they had a propane heater that they no longer needed and they offered to donate it and we have another family that could really use a propane heater to keep their place warm right? and both of them are feeling this, this, this deep reflection and deep awe that God can answer prayers like that I see it in the stories we've heard here over the last few weeks and Tracy and Phil and, and Phil's ability to, to, to be clean and break his alcohol addiction, his life be completely different and their, their marriage and all the things that God is doing there. I'm not in awe of Tracy and Phil. I'm not in awe of Celebrate Recovery. I'm not in awe of Legina, that leads it incredibly well. I'm in awe of Yahweh, of Jesus who is coordinating, orchestrating, being present. He is present in our life. He works through people and circumstances. You experience Him all around you. I think about this this building on the bypass that Mayfield, the boxing gym, had this vision for like a youth center and and all these things that we just kind of dove in five, six years ago, not really knowing what we're getting into. It was crazy when we started, a church with a boxing gym. I get it. It's still crazy six years later. But we're over there working, and, and, and we just know that Mayfield had this vision, and Jody Brown's kind of followed that up and has this vision. And we've been over there just kind of patient, trusting God and working and seeing youth impacted in small ways and pieces. And we had a mission team here once, and a middle school student says, we were, I was sharing that vision like a youth center in the, the old Thacker Parts store right beside it. And, uh, and, and he was like, that would be a good building. I guess this kid was a prophet. I was like, no, we that building's too much. It's out of, you know, we're not gonna be able to do that. You know, right during that moment, I've shared this with you before, we owned that building and we didn't even know it. <laughs> that the last deed we had when we got to the gym, they messed it up and accidentally transferred that building to us. And I was looking at that guy saying, God couldn't do that, and God's like, I already did it. I, he is one mightier than I. That we've we've jumped in on that project, we've been remodeling work on it this week. Uh, we are blessed with a, another grant from the Community Foundation, $30,000 to work on that building. Like It's going to be under roof, a new HVAC, like, all these things that God has provided for. He is one mightier than I. If God wants a youth center on the bypass, guess what? We can't stop it. <laughs> he is one mightier. Mightier dear, that if he cares about the next generation of Pikeville like that, then he is going to work through his church and his people to reach them. Being humble is not, like I said, it's not, you can be confident and humble. It's really just about knowing our position and relationship to him. I think about even this university. That's here, I think, uh, over hundred years ago. There was a group of people who were in awe of Jesus, who left the East Coast, Presbyterians, went to this little town, cold town in the mountains, started a school, an academy. It wasn't a college, it was elementary school. There was a need, God worked through them to meet that need. That little academy that they thought, we're just doing this thing. We don't know what we're doing. I love times when we don't know what we're doing. That's my favorite. I love the unknown. It means anything's possible. It means God can do anything. If I'm not holding him down saying, I know what it's going to be, then we just let him be whatever he wants to be. And now it's a university, it's a medical school, optometry school. There's students here enjoying and reaping the fruit of that university. And so the temptation and things like that, as we become in awe of the university. Instead of awe of Yahweh, awe of Jesus, who, who was in the middle, who cared enough. He's the reason it's here. He's the reason we have it. So I ask you as the worship team comes on up. Are we in awe of our wealth, our power, our self? Or are we in awe of Yahweh, of the great I Am, of Jesus, who would claim himself to be I Am? Are we in all of our intellect, creativity, artistic expressions? Are we in awe of Yahweh? Are we in all of our accolades and sports and all the things that consume us in the culture? Or are we in awe of Yahweh? This idea of becoming awestruck about God, it, it, it does... Reflecting it, it causes us to be humble in this life but it also impacts our eternity it impacts your eternity you see this is, this is the truth is that if you spend your life worshiping yourself you're your only hope in death if I spend my life worshiping myself in death it's up to me Are you with me for a minute, and can I tell you a secret? I can't even add one inch to my stature. I can't number my days, I can't add one day to my life. I can't explain why I'm here and where I came from, I can't do any of that. I can't control circumstances, I can't control the weather. I would rather have my hope and trust in one that is mightier than I. One that I think John knew what Paul said. What Paul was going to write in Colossians when he said Christ is supreme. He said Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Through him and for him. Not through Jared and for Jared. Through him and for him. Him, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Let me tell you something when you understand who he is, who he claimed to be, and you get in awe of Jesus, when you believe that in your heart that he is mightier than I, I put my trust in him, please don't put your trust in Jared or Chris or any of our other. Don't put your trust in new beginnings or don't put your trust in going to church or good works or giving. When, when you understand, you get in awe about Jesus. Your eternity changes. And your life changes. You'll never be the same. When you understand who he is and how he loves you. And that while you were a sinner, he died for you. That that's the good news. That there is hope of heaven through him never the same. God, we just come to you. We surrender. I surrender myself. We surrender as a church. God, you are one who is mightier than I, and I'm so thankful. for that, God, we just come to you today. We surrender our lives. We humble ourselves. We bow at your feet. It would be an honor to untie your sandals. God, give us this posture of heart towards you. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. If God is dealing with your heart, this altar is open. If you've never given your life to Christ, we'd love to pray with you. If you've been a, a Jesus follower for decades and you say, but I've been worshiping myself. I've, been, I've gotten distracted. I want to surrender. There's no better place than to do it. You can do it at your seat. You can do it anywhere. But we'd love to pray with you if it's on your heart.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Faith Life. Faith Life is a ministry of New Beginnings Fellowship Church located in Pikeville, Kentucky. You can find us on the web at www.nbfc.church or look for us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to Faith Life Podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms and download each weekly episode. Join us next week as Pastor Jared Arnett delivers the 14th message in our series entitled Temptation 101. Again, Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week as we walk the faith life.